The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Uh, real quickly, a couple show notes. I want to make sure that if you're a regular listener, that you're following our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, we're going to be doing some fun contests and giving away some wonderful books that are written by uh, a lot of our women guests that come on the show. So make sure that you're following us on social media. And if you miss any of the live shows and you want to check out uh, our podcast, be sure to go to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net for all good things about the show. Uh, so this afternoon, we're going to be checking in with our contributor, our financial contributor, Jocelyn Ewart, who is the founding principal of Entrust Financial. And I want to be sure to mention her book as well that just came out, Balancing Act, Wealth Management, Straight Talk for Women, which can be found on Amazon. And um, a very nice note to mention is that 100% of the proceeds go to a scholarship fund for a student in need at Temple University. So it's a great read and it's for a good cause. Um, after we speak with Jocelyn, my uh, very special guest is waiting in the wings. Her name is Jennifer Gefsky. And Jennifer is the co-founder of Opre, which is a recruiting, excuse me, a recruiting company uh, based in New York. So we're going to start with Jocelyn. Jocelyn, are you there? Magnificent fall day in the Philadelphia area. It is. It's gorgeous. I think we have another whole week of really nice weather, and we'll take it as long as we can. Well, I'm with you on that one, that's for sure. So I understand you're going to be talking with us a little bit today about charitable giving and, and kind of the, the do's and don'ts um, of where to invest in charities. Well, yeah. Susan or give, I should is, say. Yeah. Yeah. This is the time of year, and I'm sure your listeners are already receiving mailings or emails or whatever. This is really the time of the year when so many charities reach out and have their annual appeal. They kind of tug at the heartstrings, you know, as, as the holidays approach. Um, and I don't know if your listeners are like me, but it can be kind of overwhelming because there's so many really worthy organizations. So it's it can almost be frustrating, like, where do I really want to direct, you know, my dollars? Yes. And don't you, I mean, I think women in particular are, are wanting to give at every turn. So it can be very overwhelming. And women are extremely charitable. There's no doubt about that. So I have uh, three tips today. And to start with, as we've already mentioned, people can give back by giving money. That's what we typically think of immediately. But we can also give back by volunteering or sharing our time. And I think the third thing that's important, especially for families to remember, is that decisions to give can become a family affair as well as a learning opportunity for children. Um, when it comes to giving money, 
one of the things that I think often clicks in people's minds is, oh, I can't give money, you know, I'm not the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, I can't give enough. Mm. But really, um, in that case, it's often very helpful to select one or maybe two or three at the most very small charities, maybe local ones, uh, groups in your own community that are very important to you, their mission is important to you. And if you're giving a smaller gift in the hundreds instead of the thousands or millions, and you give to a smaller local organization, that gift is very, very meaningful. Uh, So when it comes to financial gifts, I would really encourage people to consider um, giving fewer gifts and really identifying organizations where their gift can make a big impact. Um, you mentioned my book a little bit earlier, Susan, and one of the things, uh, one of the, my favorite stories in the book is about one of my clients who, when she became an empty nester, the kids were off at school and, you know, they really didn't need her so much anymore, she decided to become a literacy volunteer. And she ended up doing this literacy vol- volunteering for years, ultimately was awarded um, Literacy Volunteer of the Year Award in the state in which she lives. And what she did, not surprisingly, was she taught English to each wave of new immigrants uh, that came into the United States over the years, starting way back with Vietnamese immigrants. And listening to her tell her story is so amazing because you know, it's easy to think, oh, well, she taught them to speak English. Well, and that's um, profound almost when you're an immigrant and you don't speak the language at all and you're kind of forced to leave your homeland due to war. Um, But not only did she help these immigrants communicate in this new and very foreign place that they arrived, but she was really the face of America to them. Mm. So by being this literacy volunteer, right away, you know, they had really the best that America has to give uh, right there with them as they started to acclimate. So it's interesting, even volunteering can have, you know, ripple effects that go so far beyond the immediate task at hand. Well, I think I think you made a good point in, you know, when you feel the overwhelm of where do I want to give, um, mm-hmm. not only can it be time rather than money, but to really kind of try to determine, where, you know, what pulls at my heart. So where, you know, what minish, uh, excuse me, mission do I want to um, assist with? And then, of course, there's just an abundance of, of different places to be able to, to make a difference. Right. And again, just like my Literacy Volunteer of the Year client, I mean, you know that you have a specific task to do when you're a volunteer, but you really just don't know that much greater impact that you're having. And you know, it's priceless. You can't put a price tag on that kind of a gift that, that you're giving as a volunteer. And um, the third tip to really put out there is that, you know, children really love to be involved in giving because they have certain things Maybe children love animals, and so they want to be able to give money to whatever local organization helps animals and pets. Um, Maybe they love going to the zoo, and, of course, the zoo always needs money for their special projects. So wrapping children into the planning, and there's a number of different ways to do it. Some of them are a little bit technical, and I outline them a little bit in the book. Chapter 8 is about charitable giving. But one of the great things about wrapping children in is, on the one hand, they really do learn to share with something greater than themselves. 
On the other hand, if a family decides to use a donor-advised fund and the children in the family as well as mom and dad get to choose where they want to make grants or what organizations they want to make gifts to from their family fund, the children can also learn about investing along the way. That's right. So it's just such a wonderful package, this world of charitable giving. It is. It is. And, and you and I talk often about the importance of teaching children about money as early as possible. You know, it, it's so important. It, it is. And one footnote uh, for the teenagers out there, um, if teenagers are encouraged by their families to get actively involved in some substantive community service, not just a one-shot, they went out and did something for two hours, but really in their high school years get involved in, a, in some sort of endeavor or lead or initiate an endeavor that gives back to the community that can really help on those college applications. That's right. Yes. Great, great tip. Jocelyn, thank you so much. Always some great sound advice and tips from you, and we appreciate your checking in with us this month. It's always a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we are ready to welcome our very special guest this afternoon uh, again. Her name is Jennifer Gefsky, and Jennifer is the co-founder of Opre, which is uh, a digital recruitment platform for women and corporations that are seeking talent and diversity. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be on the show today. And you're calling from New York, Correct. I am, yes, yeah. New York City. Good. So I guess you're having the exact same weather we are, which is really gorgeous. Beautiful. A beautiful yes, fall gorgeous. day. gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, before we get into um, really what has become quite a successful company, you and I, um, I think, connected early on um, when yeah. you were launching the company, and I'm excited to kind of get some updates and, and share with our listeners um, what you've done in a really short period of time. Uh, I want to give them a sense of you and and who you are behind this title of co-founder and start a little bit with your background and, and your growing up years. Find out who the young Jennifer was. <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit about your, I understand you were born in Cleveland, Ohio, um, and you did, yes. you did quite a bit of moving around. Um, tell me about those years. Yes, go Indians, sorry, to be. And that's um, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That was a big game last night. We were flipping back between Cleveland and the Eagles game. Um, yeah, right, exactly, right? yeah. yeah. Um, so, yes, I was born in Cleveland, and um, I actually only lived there for a few years and moved to Toledo, which was a wonderful place to grow up until I was about 12. And then um, my parents divorced, and I moved to Arizona with my mom. Um uh, at a difficult time to move, halfway through my seventh grade year, um, mm. I moved uh, to Arizona, so to a whole new um, environment. And um, and then another difficult time to move, halfway through my junior year of high school, I moved again to to Florida, um, where I ended up going to. Uh, I went to undergraduate in Florida, and then ultimately law school in Pittsburgh. And it was interesting because that experience for me. Um, both all the moving around, but also I think more important, my parents' divorce, and I think seeing uh, my mom in difficult situations financially really instilled in me at a very early age 
um, the importance of being financially independent, truly financially independent, um, and how really having an education, um, you know, nothing can be better for women than to be well-educated and to be able to support ourselves. And um, so that at a very early age was instilled in me, and I saw it firsthand, and I think really planted the seed of ambition in me from a very early age, um, which, you know, I still have to this day, and I hope to... Um, to pass down to my now 13-year-old daughter. Um, so, so, and that very much is an overarching um, theme of what I'm doing now with Our Pray. Now, Jennifer, is the the awareness that you had at a young age, because I understand you, you know, you were working at age 11. Yeah. Was this something that became a, an awareness through your own observation of what mom and dad were going through, or did your mom have discussions with you about the importance of being independent financially? No, definitely no discussions. This was all me observing a situation of a very difficult situation for my mom and seeing that money played a very big role in her ability to go down a path that she wanted to go down. And as you, when you're a young person and you're seeing that firsthand, it's very, very impactful. Mm. Um, but I think, it, and it's interesting because, you know, now I live in a relatively affluent suburb of New York City, and, you know, things can be a little cushy um, in these suburbs from time to time. And mm-hmm. um, and there's not as much working, I think, from kids as I don't know if they're if, if it's just how I grew up, but as there used to be, I think maybe kids are so programmed today that there's not enough time for work. But what I have to tell you, I feel very strongly about is working, because uh, I like I like you said, I was working since I was 11, starting with babysitting. But literally, I worked at McDonald's, I worked in the mall, I worked at clothing stores, um, I was an emergency room clerk, I waited tables, I was a cocktail waitress. I mean, you name it, I valeted cars, you name it, I did it to make money, um, just about. And um, to be honest, it was really, really beneficial for me when I graduated law school and I started my career at a very um, renowned law firm in New York City called Proskauer Rose. And all of that work experience, I think, really gave me um, a significant leg up because I was so used to dealing with people. I was used to dealing with conflict. Um, I was used to producing results and being responsive. And I think all of that comes with working, whether you need to work for money or not work for money. It's um, those skills, I think, are awesome to have when you enter sort of the real career world after you graduate from school. So I'm a big believer in kids working in whatever capacity they can. So Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because one of the questions I had for you is this kind of, um, it's interesting, the irony of if you grow up with some type of a challenge that forces you to, to work at a young age or be aware of, you know, money issues and, you know, kind of the stresses of that with family, then you get this wonderful um, opportunity and lesson in working hard, right? And then mm-hmm. on the flip side, you know, perhaps the children and families, the children who grow up maybe in an idyllic upbringing um, where they're not really, you know, there's not this necessary um, need to go out and, and make money to help supplement mom and dad, then they don't learn that same work ethic. So there's kind of an irony in that, that Perhaps uh, those of us who grow up with some kind of challenge or adversity um, have this wonderful life lesson. Right. It was right. 
it's very much true. And a lot of the parents I talked to today are struggling with the same issue with their own kids. Like, how do you make your kids hungry? How do you make them ambitious, um, you know, when the life that they live is, you know, somewhat cushy? And That's I right. think it's a thing a lot of parents have to struggle with. Um, I mean, a good struggle to have, don't get me wrong. That's but right. um, but it is it is it is another sort of element of being a parent that, you know, when you live in a town where no one else works and you're making your kid work, um, you know, but I believe strongly in it. My daughter already has her Red Cross babysitting certification. Funny enough, um, everyone thinks she's too young to babysit. Where I was babysitting at 11 and now 13 is like people right. <laughs> won't hire her because she's too young. And meanwhile, um, she's a very mature 13-year-old, but I think right. it's so funny. Well, you know, I agree with you 100%. And, and you know, we've, we've raised our kids the very same way. This, the sooner they can work, the better. And, you know, it's what Jocelyn and I were talking about at the top of the show. It also um, teaches them about money. And it's something that I think right. we neglect, you know, in education. The kids are learning about math. Uh, and numbers, but not necessarily money. So when, you know, parents really kind of are transparent with the children to say, look, this is what, this is where all these wonderful things come from, and this is what it takes to get them. Um, exactly. Yeah. And how hard it is to make that money and That's how, right. what, what it really takes to earn a dollar and how hard you have to work to get minimum wage. Like all of That's those right. things are really important, I think, for they kids. Are. So, so, um, you know, you did go to law school, but I was wondering if, tell me when you were young, you know, 15, 16, 17, um, what were your aspirations? What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were that age? Not a lawyer. Not I a actually, lawyer. <laughs> not surprised. <laughs> not a lawyer. I actually wanted to be a doctor, and um, I started my undergraduate as a pre-med student, but I quickly realized that I couldn't afford medical school. You know, I put myself through college and law school, mm-hmm. and um and I realized very early on in college that going to medical school is very expensive. And not only is it expensive, it's kind of a long time before you start making money That's because right. you graduate and then you from medical school and then you have to do a residency and that takes time. And so, and I really needed to be able to make money. So for me, I switched um, to political science because um, I knew a law degree was one of those degrees I could go and become a lawyer, but it's obviously helpful in a variety of other ways as well. So. Um, I switched and you know it's interesting because I think you know fate is exactly that and um, and I have no ultimately regrets about that um, because uh, you know I, I think it is a very difficult profession to be a doctor especially today so uh, but I certainly my aspirations growing up were never to be a lawyer but uh, it is a good profession and a good degree to have always that's right, that's right. now let me tell you that that's not easy to work and pay your way through college and law school. Tell mm-hmm. me what you did. How did you do that? Um, well, I basically had no social life. You know, it's funny because so many of my friends now and the people that I work with now, they have these wonderful, like, college experiences, and they went to schools where they, you know, were in fraternities and sororities and all stuff, and I really didn't have that experience. I worked. Um, I said earlier that I was an emergency room clerk, and my shift in high school or in college was – um, the the midnight shift. So I would go in um, on Friday night at 11 o'clock at night, and I'd work until 7 in the morning. And then I'd go and I'd do the same thing on Saturday night and work until 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. And so 
really, really hard um, to do. And certainly, you know, I wasn't the fun one in college because I was working all weekend. Um, you know, and then I did the waiting tables, um, which I always think everybody at some point in their life should wait tables. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. Because it's, it's a, I mean, talk about a life lesson in terms of uh, human behavior. That's right. Dealing um, with the public. Mm-hmm. Yes. Dealing with the public, um, dealing with certain personalities and teaching you how to be, I feel, uh, to be a waiter, it teaches you how to treat other people because when you're the person who's there doing it and people are not nice or not appreciative, it's hard. It's really, it's very, very hard. It's a very hard job. And um, I'm so glad I did it and had that experience. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was my college life. I worked. So, um, and I will say I look back and one thing you do realize is that you're only young once and you'll never get those years back. And, um, and so it's, you know, I would love for my kids to certainly have some work experience like that, but not, but also be able to enjoy, you know, college, um, because I do feel like it is a finite period of time and, you know, and then real life starts to happen, right? And there's, there's, right. there's rarely going back. That's right. That's right. So tell me about the moment, what kind of precipitated that decision then, law school? You know, was there kind of an aha moment for you, or do, do you feel that it was kind of just the next right thing to do? Yeah, for me, I felt like it was the next thing to do in terms of um, starting a career and, and making money. I mean, to be honest, I really didn't think that much about, okay, what do lawyers do all day long? You know, I really didn't think, um, truth be told, that much about it. My mom, to her great credit, when I graduated college and I was getting ready to enroll in law school, she said, you know what, go work at a law firm for a year, which I did. I was an office manager for a law firm. Um, Actually, a Pittsburgh-based firm called Eckert Siemens. I think now it's called Eckert Siemens. At the time, it was Eckert Siemens Chairman and Malott. I think they have, I'm sure they have a Philadelphia office. Anyway, so I was an office manager in their Fort Lauderdale office, and so just to experience what that was like, you know, what's it like to be a lawyer? And I guess the experience was good enough that I actually went ahead and went to law school. So, um, so I thought that was a good advice for my mom. But there wasn't really an aha moment, other than. I mean, there was certainly like, oh, this is what I want to do. It was more like this is what I really should do um, for me. And uh, honestly, if if I were to go back in time, and again, I don't regret the moves that I've made, but I think what I would tell my kids today is more about really figure out what not only you enjoy doing, but really where your strengths are. You know, are your strengths dealing with people or your strengths, you know, reading and writing? What do you enjoy? Do you enjoy sitting in an office all day reading and writing? Because if you do, you know, being a lawyer is an awesome job for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really give it that sort of thought. I just I just realized this is a great degree. I'm going to be able to get a good job. I'm going to be able to make money. And that's why I went down the road. So, um, again, no regrets. And I've had oh, I had a wonderful legal career. So, um, and I had, you know, one of the best jobs you could have as a lawyer, but, um, but I'm not sure, you know, going back, if I would have made the same decision, if I really stepped back and thought about what my strengths and weaknesses were and, and whether that would really be the place for me to, to, you know, be most useful. That's right. And, you know, again, it's all part, you know, we, it's so cliche to say it's, it's all a journey, but we certainly learn things, um, along our life. 
uh, that tell us, kind of validate that we were in the right place or perhaps, you know, we might be better suited somewhere else. Um, I'm curious, you know, we we have a lot of uh, attorneys on the show, and there seems to be, when they talk about the legal profession for women, it's not always um, the best. There seems to be, you know, the legal profession as opposed to other industries and professions that they still seem to lag behind in, um, you know, the equal pay and opportunities for women. Are they, are they the same as for men? It sounds as if you didn't um, experience that, or, or did you? Well, I mean, I experienced it in the way of, I think, not so much the glass ceiling way, but more in the sense of the obligations of a lawyer are pretty intense. And, you know, for women, and this is one of the reasons we started out Prey, women get to that point in their career that we refer to as the messy middle, where just when your career is sort of, you know, kicking into that next gear, you're experiencing the obligations of home, too. And that's certainly what happened to me. Um, and so it's hard to balance all of those things at once, you know, trying to excel at work. Um, and climb that sort of ladder. Uh, and in the mean, meantime, you're at home and you're either, you know, having kids or not every woman, obviously, not every woman has kids, but a lot of women, you know, you're having kids and you have that sort of real obligation. Um, and, you know, and not that the women don't want it, but the pressure to be at home and to raise the family. And most people know that that obligation falls more on women's shoulders than men. And um, so for me personally, I started my career at Prescott Rose, and then I went over to Major League Baseball, uh, a job that I absolutely loved and that was amazing, but it was pretty intense and it was um, demanding. And so that's what I experienced, and um, my decision was to opt out of the workforce entirely, which a lot of women make that decision. Uh, you know, obviously, we're the, the women who can are lucky to be able to have that choice. Um, but m- many women, tens of millions of women in this country, um, if they don't opt out, they transition their career in some way because of those obligations outside the workforce. So whether you're full-time working 70 hours a week and traveling, you may still work full-time, but you're going to maybe work for a company that has a little bit more um, easy easy programs and policies for your lifestyle and, and having to leave the office and be home at certain times, or maybe you dial it back to project-based work or part-time work. So there's a lot of transition that happens in that messy middle, and for me that happened as well, except I made the decision to opt out. But the real genesis of Apre was born from that experience. Right. Well, before we talk about that, I want to hear about your years um, working for um, the MLB, uh, yeah. Major League Baseball. Oh. I mean, that must yeah. have been – I mean, I know that you're active and, you know, you're you're um, interested in sports. And what was that like working in that – what I would assume is a predominantly male-dominated industry? Yes, it was very male-dominated. Um, but – Uh, You know, it's funny because I just read um, a survey of millennial women in their 20s, and the the kind of overwhelming, uh, at least for this particular survey, was um, that, one, women don't feel they're going to be discriminated against in their 20s. And that they don't feel they're treated differently because they're a woman. And I, when I read the results of that survey, I sort of laughed because that's exactly how I felt as well when I was in my 20s. You know, it's that feeling like, oh, you know, I'm not going to be discriminated against. And it's, and I think it's many in, in many.
many parts because you haven't yet had that family and those obligations outside the workforce yet. So um, I, I loved working at baseball. It was an amazing experience, and I would say one of the, the most amazing things that I, I'm not sure I truly appreciated then, but I appreciate now that I have this the company and you know, the experience that I'm taking from Major League Baseball is I had two amazing bosses, one who's the current commissioner of Major League Baseball. His name is Rob Manfred. Um, and my other boss is now the president of the Pittsburgh Pirates. His name is Frank Coonley. So they taught me so much, maybe not even necessarily directly, but just by being in meetings with them and by, you know, traveling with them and seeing them in action. So that was really, really an amazing take away from being at baseball and of course it's a sexy job you know it's like you you get to do fun things um you get to travel to interesting places but it's hard i mean there's there's no getting around the fact that it's a very demanding um tough job and and certainly place to work because um there it is a coveted position and people do want it and so you're really uh, required to to work the hardest and be the best at what you do and so um you know, I enjoyed that. But then when I had two of my three children while I was working at baseball, you know, it got really hard. I commuted and, um, you know, it, it's it's hard to give 100% at work when, you know, you've got to travel an hour and 15 minutes each way to and from work and have your obligations at home. And so, you know, all of those things for me started to really become too much. And uh, the breaking point for me was um, – when my oldest was having some issues at preschool. And, uh, you know, you sort of reach that point as a mother that you say, what's the right thing for me to do? Mm. Um, and for me, it was to leave the workforce for a little bit of time. Yeah. I, I, I'm guessing that you, you know, it, were there a lot of politics working, you know, in the MLB? And did you kind of um, build some toughness? Um, in that <laughs> really position? Yes. You know, I think there's politics any place where it's very coveted to work, Mm. Um, you know, because so many people want to work there and so many people want those jobs Mm. that politics automatically come into play. Um, To be honest, I wasn't prepared for it when I went there. Um, But, you know, you quickly learn how to, and again, I think a lot of my previous work experience was helpful here. You learn how to deal with it and um, uh, not that it's easy. It's definitely not easy to deal with politics, but... um, yeah, I mean, it's a part, I think, of any organization where it's it's a super, you know, um, you know, coveted, like I said, place to work. Yeah, and I, I think it's a good lesson for all women to, to, to work, to not let ourselves kind of be pushed around, you know, or I use the word bullied, but, you know, there, I think it takes um, sometimes years of experience to really find your voice and be able to stand up to people in the workplace and, um, you know, t- know, knowing you the, the little bit that I do, Jennifer, it seems you had, you know, a bit of confidence before you even stepped into that role. Um, but I'm sure that there were experiences that really um, kind of added to your ability to, you know, stand up for what was right and not be pushed yeah, around, you raise, right? re- you raise a really, really good point. And, and at Opry, we deal with this a lot, which is, women's ability to advocate for themselves and to having the confidence to um, ask for what you want. And again, looking back, I'm not sure I was the best advocate for myself. Um, You know, and I think, again, the problem with the messy middle is that right when you're supposed to probably be your strongest at work and be the toughest, you're 
you know, you're dealing with all the things of being a, you know, a, a mom, right. which is, you know, you're tired, yes, you're, yes. you're really not yourself in so many ways. I look back on that time in my life for my at myself, and I'm like, well, who is that person? You know, I mean, because it is so, it's right. so demanding. I mean, it becoming is. a mom is the hardest thing for me. It was at least the hardest thing I ever had to do. It was very hard. Your life changes. Um, it's emotionally and, and physically together exhausting. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? And I always love that line. I think it's a Bill Murray line from Lost in Translation where he said, you know, life as you know it is over once right? you have kids. That and is, it's so true. It's exactly And that's right. a lot to take on while you're supposed to be, you know, really tough at work and advocating for yourself. So yeah. I look back and I think I probably could have done a better job advocating for myself. But to be honest, I really don't regret any decisions I made. I don't regret opting out. Um, However, I will say I didn't really have 2020 vision looking forward and what that meant for my career and what that meant for me when I wanted to come back to the workforce. And I think most women don't. I think a lot of women, you know, again, you're in that position where you're just sort of looking to exhale Mm -hmm. and you don't think down the road, you know. Yeah. Um, And we see that all the time. That's right. And I made that mistake as well, for sure. Yeah. And that's just life. We don't have that crystal ball. Um, listen, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, and when we come back, I want to get right into the, the moment and the revelation where uh, you and Nicole decided to start this company. We'll be right, right. back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Are you the parent of a daughter in middle school? If so, I must tell you about an upcoming event at Mount St. Joseph Academy on Sunday, October the 16th at 12 noon. As the parent of an alum, I know firsthand the value of their academic excellence, athletic and arts programs. This private, all-girls Catholic high school in Montgomery County provides the foundation our daughters need to go on to leadership roles at top universities and future careers. I know my daughter did. To register for the open house on Sunday, October the 16th at 12 noon, go to msjacad.org backslash open house. And be sure to ask about their financial assistance and scholarship programs when you visit msjacad.org backslash open house. I'm pleased to announce the opening of the region's newest, most innovative gynecology practice in the Philadelphia area in mid-November, Montgomery Gynecology. Led by Dr. Hima Janogada in a welcoming boutique-style setting, she and her team are committed to providing the highest standard of cutting-edge care without losing the personal touch that is so very important in today's world. With a particular interest in minimally invasive surgical options, Dr. Hema completed advanced training in robotic surgery and is one of only two surgeons in Montgomery County who performs this highly specialized single-site robotic surgery. For more information on the opening of this exciting new practice, 
in the convenient Plymouth Meeting location, go to www.montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411. That's montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411 to make an appointment today. I'm Jocelyn Ewart, founding principal of Entrust Financial in Wayne, Pennsylvania, and it is my pleasure to share financial tips with you during my monthly segment on Women to Watch. I hope you are a regular listener like I am and that you are finding the personal finance tips I provide helpful. Some of the topics we have discussed so far this year are how to get organized, how to help your children learn good money habits, how to create that all-important travel budget, and what steps are needed as you prepare for retirement. Now I have truly exciting news for you, news you can share with your family and friends. As a veteran certified financial planner professional, I just published my first book, Balancing Act, Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. It is filled with inspiring real case studies to help you and other women move past fear, build confidence, and make the right decisions without financial concerns. Just go to Amazon.com to purchase your copy. And please, write a review for Balancing Act Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. I look forward to reading it. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. I want to uh, quickly give the call-in number if you're listening and you wanted to call into the show and speak directly to Jennifer with any questions. Feel free to call 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. Uh, so, Jennifer, um, you know, we got a, a good sense of your background and kind of um, where you came from and, and the path you took in your career. And now I want to talk about Apre and uh, the, you know, you obviously stayed home for some years with your children and then decided you were ready to get back out there. And you saw this lack of, um, you know, opportunities, support whatever you want to call it. Tell me about that moment when you I mean, it's it's a scary thing to start your own business, let alone a company, you know, this size. So is there a conversation you had with Nicole, your your partner, where you said, you know what, this is a problem that needs to be fixed and we're going to do it. Yes. Yes. We both, you know, my co-founder, Nikki Kroll and I, we both um, were out of the workforce for a period of time for different reasons. I, as you heard my story, opted out because of, you know, kids and work overload and Nikki opted out because um, she was diagnosed with lymphoma and she was very sick for a period of time and you know that's what we hear a lot which is you know every woman's story is is unique every woman you use the word journey before but I use it a lot because I think it's so appropriate every woman's journey is is unique mm-hmm. um, and so we were both talking about this concept of you know trying to get back into the workforce and like we almost didn't even know where to begin because there didn't seem to be resources out there um for women like us and yet there seemed to be a lot of women like us well educated with careers and um and so the idea was hatched a year ago july um and we just sort of batted it around um over the summer and really started working in earnest in september um, of 2015. And yes, I, I, we had no idea, I think at the time, 
how difficult it is to to start a business and um, what that takes and all the things you have to learn along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really, really hard to be an entrepreneur. It but, is, yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, we're mission-driven, so it's very exciting for us to help people, and not only to help people, but to truly help companies because what we're hearing out there um, from companies is they do want to make changes. They do want to further their diversity needles. And um, and providing them a mechanism to do that is, is very um you know, inspiring for us in many ways. Yeah. Let, uh, Jennifer, when you decided you were ready to get back to work, were you, did you consider, you know, going back to uh, the legal profession or were you looking for something completely different to do? Well, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but where I really became like the deer in headlights was I had no idea where to even go. First of all, I had never actually looked for a job as a lawyer in the sense that I was recruited out of law school. Right. And then when I was at Proskauer Rose, I was really recruited from Proskauer over to Major League Baseball. So it's not like I ever really had to go and pound the pavement, you know, for a job as a lawyer. So right. I, I didn't even know what to do. Well, you had, um, but I you mean, must have had a, one, a tremendous network, you know, if, to be recruited out of school. And then, as you said, from um, Proskauer Rose, you must have had a wonderful network of people that knew you and your reputation, I'll say. Yes, but, yeah. you know, with yes and no, because I made the mistake, which a lot of women make, which is when we leave the workforce, we sort of let our business networks fall by the wayside. Mm. Um, and I did that as well. But okay. what was what is so amazing um, that I have learned in the past year and a half that we've been working on, I pray, is that people are so excited to help, you know, and they're so excited to hear from you when they haven't heard from you in a long time. So we always talk to women a lot about networking, not only with your former business colleagues, but with your personal friends and networks as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, it's very hard. I think the biggest challenge I found was I didn't know which employers would be interested in necessarily talking to me with a gap in my resume. You know, at the time I had been out for like six years, I would say. Mm-hmm. And to me, that felt like a really long time. I now realize that it's really not that long. I was going to say, um, I don't think I know- it's that long compared to some other women that really go, you know, 10, sometimes 15. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, but not only go that long, go that long and come back really successfully. That's what's so exciting about it. That's you know, right. I have, I've spoken to women who were out for 18 years and went back successfully. So to me, that's inspiring. But at the time, I didn't know that. And, I, and that drives a lot of what we do because I remember myself sitting in my house, not knowing what to do and feeling like, really, who am I as a person? Um, We just recently hosted a panel in New York City, and I started the talk by saying, this is not just about finding a job. This is, it's much more emotional than that for women, because it's really about who am I as a person? I don't recognize the person that I always identified myself to be. You know, I had this career, and I was a lawyer, and people paid to hear what I had to say. And now, after, you know, six years out of the workforce, I felt like I I'm not sure I had anything to offer employers. Would they be interested in talking to me? Yeah. Do I have skills? Am I still valuable? So I, and what I learned is everyone feels that way and every woman experiences those same emotions when they've been out of the workforce. So um, one of the, one of our goals at Opray is to help women understand that you're not alone when you're going through this. Um, and the, you know, emotions you're experiencing are emotions that we all have experienced. 
Um, and the good news is, is there are so many success stories out there um, that should inspire you, but also that companies really do want you. That's right. Now, so I want to know what your philosophy was or your approach when you had to reach out to, to large companies, companies like Microsoft and AT&T and Fidelity and SiriusXM. What what was your, um, I, I don't want to say your elevator pitch, but maybe, you know, in approaching these <laughs> companies with your idea, what was it the, the main um, message that you wanted to get through to them, to get them on board? Right. Well, as anyone know who's ever pitched um, or, you know, quote, done sales, you know that your pitch evolves over time. And I would say that happened to us. So, so our pitch, what we were pitching at the very beginning is, is different than I think what we're pitching today. Mm-hmm. But what we're pitching today very much is for the larger companies. And we have both large companies, well, I should say all types of companies. We have large companies, mid-sized companies, and we have very small companies on our platform. And really for different reasons. But for the larger companies, like you mentioned, our amazing corporate partners like Microsoft and AT&T, is – we are giving you access to really an untapped pool of talent, um, and um, especially in the roles that you're looking to fill. So gender diversity, as you probably know, is not really at the entry level and at the junior level. Companies across sectors do a pretty good job of having a diverse workforce across entry junior level positions where the rubber sort of hits the road and where gender diversity starts to take a dive Mm -hmm. is at that mid-level position because of well there's a variety of reasons but the messy middle and home obligations um it's a very complex problem but that's where the gender diversity problem really begins to hit companies and then of course just continues through to the c-suite level so what we offer companies is that ability to um, tap into a pool of talent that can really be infused in those mid to senior level positions um, and really help move their gender diversity initiatives forward yeah which is wonderful that's such a wonderful um, thing that you're doing um, Tell me what, you know, you've been talking to hundreds of of women um, who are, you know, um, coming out of the messy middle, as you say. What do you Mm -hmm. think is the number one greatest challenge for women returning to work? Well, the number one challenge is confidence. 100%. I don't even think I would would hesitate at all to say that that is a challenge that most women face. Probably actually not even women just returning to the workforce, but a lot of times women in general, but certainly women returning to the workforce. And why they have that confidence problem? Primarily, I think it's because corporate America is not out there saying, we really are so excited to get you back in the workforce. We really value your talent that you've, you know, <laughs> honed while you've been at home. Right. Um, you know, that's not the message. And right. so. You know, it's like what I said, which is, do I have value? Am I going to be too old? Am I going to be too outdated with my technology skills? And what's really interesting, Susan, that we've learned across the board, that women, when they come back to work, almost regardless of how long they've been out, they get their sea legs so quickly. And it's really inspiring to me. It's not, it's, it's not the technical part at all that in any way trips women up when they come back to work. What, what can trip women up is this you know, balancing home and and work again, Um, and also feeling like that confidence. Do I have a career sponsor? Do I have a mentor? Um, 
can I do this? It's not really. Their technical skills come back very, very quickly. Um, so for women out there who are thinking about going back to work, that is not an issue you should necessarily be concerned about um, is the technical skills. Now, it depends also if you want to transition careers and you want to do something different. That's that's another matter. But we find that the skills women basically perfect while they're home, which is, you know, being a parent and multitasking and being efficient and, um, you know, conflict resolution and all those things. It's all very transferable to the workforce, and that's what makes this demographic such great employees. Um, those skills, along with their loyalty, along with um, the less likelihood that they're going to opt out again, um, and they're so efficient because they know they've got to get the job done and they have other places to go. So, um, you know, I would say, getting back to your original question, the confidence is, is uh, in, without question, I think, the number one obstacle women face. So tell, what does Operate do to help the women with confidence? Because I know that, you know, the, your site is not just a, you know, uh, a listing of jobs. There's all kinds of things Correct. that you offer, lots of different um, resources, tutorials and yeah. content and um, inspiring stories of, of, of other women. Um, I guess, you know, those I would imagine would be a, a huge help for women because when they hear even your own success story, you know, you're, you're, you're going through and have done exactly what they're looking to do and have proven that, you know, not only do you have something of value to offer, but you can be very successful doing it. So is there anything that, oh, yeah. I, that I didn't mention that Opera provides to really help women with that personal development piece of the pod? Well, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the inspirational content and the success stories and the educational curriculum and all of those things and a vetted roster of career coaches, all of that is on our site. But I would say the most valuable thing that we offer is our curated job market, which, and the reason I say curated is because when we partner with companies and we talk to them and we truly do partner with these companies, we don't just like, hey, throw some jobs on our site. Mm -hmm. We talk to them about where would you find this demographic to be successful within your organization? Where would you like to see these women working? And so for that, it really is jobs specifically in mind for this demographic. They're expecting a resume that has a gap in it. Um, and that has tremendous value for, for women, you know, to know that I can go to Microsoft and become, you know, a director of marketing of Xbox um, and they're expecting a resume with a gap in it is like incredible. Yeah, that so, is. That must um, be such a relief know, for your members, you know, that you're, you're kind of advocating for them. Yeah. I mean, we, we really feel it's part of our mission is to educate companies on the value of demographic, of, the, of this demographic, um, and the, what they can add to the workforce, not only in terms of the employee they are and can be, but also what I think is equally important is the message you're sending to the rest of your company and to your customers and clients, right? So you're hiring a woman who's been out of the workforce and she's a mom. If you're a young woman in that company and you see this, quote, mom coming back into the workforce and the company embracing her, that's a huge message mm. for a younger woman to say, wow, this is a great company. Like, that's this right. is a company I can stay at. Yes. You know, as opposed to being at one of those companies where you look down the road and it's like crickets when it comes to women, or it's women that you kind of look at and you're like, oh, I don't know if that's the life that I want, you know? Yeah. Um, so it has tremendous value. And the retention, you know, the ability to um, attract and retain the highest caliber of um, employee is 
truly a war out there in corporate America. There's a war on for talent. And I think the companies that are figuring out that women make up a significant part of the workforce, that they add value, and not only that, um, they truly create innovation and drive innovation within the workforce. Um, Those companies that are figuring it out, and there are companies out there that are doing it, will ultimately win the war for talent. That's right. Well, and let's let's talk about, you know, the the big picture because, you know, our our mission here with women to watch and sharing these stories and and getting women like you to kind of, you know, really talk about what you've done, talking about your your own life journey and how you've evolved. I think that's such an important word that we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we never get to a place where we have everything figured out and we know how to do everything right. We're always evolving. But, you know, the mission really is to 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 try to encourage more women to not only go back to work but lead wherever they are. And I was wondering what you, what your personal opinion is on how the world will be better when we have women leading um, on a larger scale. What, what kind of changes would you hope to see for even your own children, your daughter? Um, but what are some of the benefits that you see having more women um, leading? Well, first of all, I mean, just talking about diversity in general, and women make up a big part of that diverse uh, diversity component. Diverse workforces and diverse mindsets, you know, are so critical to a company's success. And the world today is truly flat because of technology. So the old days where those companies could be non-transparent um, and have a less diverse workforce and, and kind of, quote, get away with it, are over. And, right. um, and, and really having a diverse workforce, it's not just a warm and fuzzy, this is what we should be doing because it's the right thing to do, uh, which is lovely, but it's really about driving innovation. Mm-hmm. And if you have an echo chamber at your boardroom of all white men in their 40s and 50s, there's not going to be a lot of innovation of ideas. And that's just the fact. Um, and so having women at the table, they offer a completely different perspective and a completely different mindset than men. So, you know, if you want to be innovative, which is obviously the key word for any company today, you've got to start diversifying your workforce. And then, you know, women, you know, it's been shown over and over again that women really hold the tools to be the most successful leaders. We're very good at collaboration. We're not the ones who necessarily need all the the, the spotlight. Um, we're excited to empower others. And all of those things make wonderful leaders. And I think women are in so many ways our own worst enemy and there's a lot that's going on inside the workforce and company culture that needs to change but women also need to change too it's not just all the company's fault it is in many ways the women's fault too and that is about what we talked about before advocating for yourself Mm -hmm. and i think that um, you know, one of the one of the mantras that I've had from the very beginning when I started Opre is the is this is this motto of don't be afraid to fail, be afraid to not try. And I don't know if it's because of you know I'm in my 40s, if it's the time in my life where I'm like, hey, no, I'm why should I be afraid to fail? Like I might as well, you know. Well, you've already but, raised but, three children. <laughs> There's nothing scarier than that. Right, exactly. But it is that it is that I I was I was sort of raised and I lived so much of my life pleasing others, doing 
things that I thought other people would be impressed by as opposed to really turning inward and saying, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. What am I excited about? And yeah. I think women do that a lot. And yes. so, and we're raised to be pleasers and, and, and all of those things. And so really to just sort of start to think, I'm, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try something different. And I'm going to go for it at this particular company. And I'm going to ask for that promotion. And I'm going to ask for that raise or demand it. And if I don't get it, I'm leaving. And that's sort of like really forward you know, action, um, which I think men tend to be pretty good at, uh, mm-hmm. and it's shown that women almost across the board are not as good at, um, women need to step up and start learning that it's okay to be a little aggressive, quote, um, even if it may be not looked upon as such a ladylike thing to do, you know. Um, That's right. And I love where we're going as a society when you see these advertisements for strong women. And I, you know, I think things are going to start to change. I participated in Ad Week Care in New York City, and I heard a stat that made me shudder, which is only 2% of all domestic housework commercials show men doing the housework. 2%. Okay, so you hear that, and you're like, oh, uh, but that's sending a message to our young kids, our boys and girls. Girls look at that and think, I'm the one that's supposed to do the housework. Well, I have newsflash. I'm no better at wash than my husband is, you know? You know, it's funny that we're starting to see, I I mean, I'm noticing, it's funny, you know that that that's been the case when you notice a commercial where there's a dad, you know, taking care of the kids, and it piques your interest, so, um, but I think you're right, it's, it really is an exciting time, Jennifer, I think, for women, so many good things are going on, and we hear the statistics and the percentages and all of the numbers, but there's, there's too much advocacy and too many organizations and communities for the tides not to turn um, and and just create so many more wonderful opportunities for women. But it's important. Um, there's, a, there's a lovely young woman sitting in my studio. Her name is Davida Garfield, and she's just kind of listening in. And, and just before you came on the air, we were talking about the importance of reflecting and, and determining what, you know, what it is is it that I'm here to do? What is it that I'm here mm-hmm. to offer? And when you do that, you're helping yourself and, and everyone else around you. Um, and I think women are starting to to see that and feel it. And, and we're helping the young generation figure that out sooner than later. You know, we, we, we kind yeah. of figured it out later in life, but we want them to figure it out at a young age. Yes, I hope so. I hope so. I think that's certainly the path that I would love for my kids to to go down and I agree with you about it's a a really exciting time in the world because this is not just a U.S. issue this is a global issue and I think it's a very exciting time for women and I I almost use the word revolution in terms of the changes that are going to take place over the course I think of the next you know 10 to 20 years of how the workplace is going to look and I think it's going to look very different I agree listen I'm so grateful that you took an hour out of your busy day to be with us and and share your story Jennifer continued success for Opre thank you so much and if you want to find our website we're at operagroup.com and Susan I so appreciate the time and thanks for having me on the show okay take care we'll talk to you soon that's it everyone for this week of women to watch have a great week